Welcome to the Jam Yearbook. I'm Jim. And I'm Matt. We're here to take you on a journey through the years as we explore the music in our lifetime and the impact it's had on us and the world we've lived in. Welcome to version 1980. Yay, everybody. We're in the 80s. The 80s are big and important (laughs) years musically for our generation. Before we get rolling, though, because it's going to be hard to stop once we get going, we need to pay respects to those we lost. It's not an overstatement to call them icons. Oh, big time. Matt, get us rolling on it. All right. Original frontman for ACDC, Bon Scott. He was mm-hmm. never afraid of a party. Never met one he didn't like. After a long night of drinking, his friend couldn't get Bon out of the car, so he left him in the back seat to sleep it off. Unfortunately, no one checked on Bon until much later the next day, February 19th, and it was too late. Bon Scott's death certificate lists two items as cause of death, acute alcohol poisoning and death by misadventure. That is a Bon Scott lyric. Yeah. <laughs> his unfortunate death was a mere five months before the release of Back in Black and before ACDC would become one of the biggest bands of all time. If you ever come over here to Scotland to see me, Matt, I will take you to Carrymere and I'll show you the Bon Scott statue in the center of town. Oh, and I will have a beer with him and get my picture taken. Yeah, that'll be great. (laughs) Definitely. And then we have John Bonham. That name right there, John Bonham, is synonymous with power. And Gonzo. And Gonzo. (laughs) Yeah, he was gonzo. His skill was more than power, though. For many, he is the measuring stick, unfairly, that a lot of drummers, that most drummers are compared to. It's really not fair. You're no bottom. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Well, no shit. No, not too many people are. (laughs) Led Zeppelin was rehearsing in preparation for their first tour since 1977. He had started a huge drinking binge on September 24th that continued all through rehearsal. By reports, he was not in the best frame of mind. Led Zeppelin's tour manager and John Paul Jones went to check on Bonham the following day and found his body. He was the heartbeat of arguably the greatest rock band of all time. Led Zeppelin issued a simple statement in December conceding they could not continue as a band. Yeah, huge loss. Huge loss for that band. And then, very sadly, one of the greatest musical icons of all time, John Lennon. Well, the other two artists you just spoke of lived a lifestyle that definitely contributed to their demise. On December 8th, 1980, John Lennon was shot dead by a deranged fan who hours earlier had approached and received an autograph graciously from John. The impact of John Lennon on the music we have listened to in our lifetime, you and I, Matt, could never be measured. Three weeks earlier, he and Yoko Ono had released the album Double Fantasy, Songs like Watching the Wheels, Woman, and Just Like Starting Over suddenly had a profound new meaning. We were both kids at the time, but I think we both remember how big it was. It was something that was just huge in our world. There had always been a hope that there'd be a Beatles reunion, but whether it was to be or not, the hope was extinguished that December evening. Lennon's murder was very confusing. He was the only one of these three that I remember really hearing of at the time. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if Howard Cosell would have made an announcement during Monday Night Football like he did with John Lennon from for Bon Scott or John Bonham. John Lennon transcended music. The Beatles were you can't it's not an overstatement to say actually it might be an understatement to say that the Beatles were huge. Yeah, (laughs) there's no defining how big they were. No. Yeah. And, and John Lennon's death. I think the big surprise to all of that was how untimely it was 
because there was a huge optimism in the music and his life and everything that was starting to take place. Yeah. And everything that he stood for, um, it was just inconceivable that somebody would want to take that kind of light out of the world. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Matt, let's get away from the sad stuff. I know how much you have already enjoyed the first two episodes digging into the music, but tell me if I'm wrong. There is a buttload of great music <laughs> just on the surface before even digging into what's in 1980. Yeah, no doubt. 1980 is one of those years that keeps on giving. There's so much that I still listen to today. And I can, even this week, I'm continuing to find bands or just albums from bands that I already knew that are, it's just incredible. The eighties in general, they're, you know, they're propped up by our generation, but 1980 specifically is incredible. Yeah, it is. I mean, straight away, there's a bit of surrealism. You mentioned that it was just five months later. We just finished eulogizing Bon Scott, but we could start right here with the, the album back in black from ACDC. I mean, come on, how huge was it and the impact it had on the band? Oh, I mean, we talk about uh, overstatements, understatements. I don't know if you can overstate how great that record is. It's classic and timeless from beginning to end. Back in Black is an album that will never, ever go away. And I don't even think it takes younger generations that long to find it. Mm -hmm. I mean, Marvel movies aside, you know, I think just parents just bring it and are always still listening to it today. Usually when things hang around forever, they can be prone to fatigue but never with this. When this came out, my brother, Mark, you know him well. Yes. <laughs> he was in sixth grade. I was in fourth grade, but I remember hearing this outside of recess all the time from the sixth grade, <laughs> from the songwriting to the performance, to the production, Mutt Lang, Back in Black is as perfect as an album can be. Whenever I hear it, I can't believe how young I was when it came out. We were, obviously, I mentioned I was in fourth grade. We're still pretty young. You're in third. Uh, yeah, nine, eight, nine years old. It can yeah. be tricky framing some of these years musically. Do you think you remember the music from hearing it back then? Or do you think it was stuff you found a few years down the road? I was only seven to eight years old. So I think I heard most of this from the backseat of my parents car, to be honest. I didn't hear it on the playground. That's for sure. And rock and pop, it, it didn't get a lot of airplay in our house. Country music ruled supreme. But my parents, I don't know why, seem to prefer kind of rock pop stations in the car. I can probably thank my brother. He was five years older than me for that because where I was seven or eight years old, he was 12 or 13. And those are the ages you kind of want to take over the car radio mm, from your, yeah. your parents. I'll probably embarrass myself a little here and talk about the, the Lover Boy debut album. Oh, there's no embarrassment there at all. Uh, well, it was probably the first album that was new music to me at that time when I was seven or eight. I thought it was incredible. Uh, you know, the song, The Kid Is Hot Tonight, it's not a soundtrack song, but it sounds like it should be, you know. Should be the title it, of a movie. Yeah, it's a, it's a fight song. You know, there's yeah. a montage sitting somewhere. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, 80s especially, we're big on our musical yeah. montages. And, and then there's Turn Me Loose. I mean, the bass intro to that. In, Iconic. In, yeah. It was a great one-two punch for that album, Get Lucky, in 1980. It was a great blend of electric guitar, and there was a lot of keyboards on it, too. It was probably a little too slick for the ACDC fans and a little too much on the pop side. 
maybe for the 20 to 30 year old ACDC fans, but I think it was probably embraced by the pop crowd. You know, they tend to trend a little bit younger and maybe more open to the charts in general. But I remember radio stations and the charts being much less segregated than they are now. Algorithms from streaming services definitely narrowed my listening habits over the years. Oh, boy. Yeah, they definitely have done that. Yeah. You know, the funny thing is when I look back on 1980, I think probably the album that I listened to the most wasn't even an original album from that year. It was probably Aerosmith's greatest hits. <laughs> Which yeah. one? Oh, yeah. The, uh, well, the good one. Yeah, yeah the good one. <laughs> it, it was a definitive collection of the early hits. But I think as the show goes on, we're going to run into a few more Aerosmith greatest hits compilations in our lifetime. Uh, yeah. Yeah pull the curtain back to some of our private conversations but it does seem like aerosmith is able to fill contractual agreements by releasing a compilation every other year but this particular greatest hits it is a must-have i think everyone in high school had a cassette of this sliding around their car and i also remember that the album that came out from pat benatar that year i mean come on she had the song hit me with your best shot treat me right and i was raised religiously not knowing the context at the time I was a little freaked out, you know, in my seven-year-old mind by the song Hell is for Children. Oh, yeah. With especially with is how passionately she sings it. Yeah. Oh, growing up with a religion is freaky enough. I didn't need that shit reinforced in my music, freaking me out even more. Yeah. And I think Pat Benatar is well long overdue for a resurgence. And for people who want to know the context of the song, it was really about children who were abused homeless and you know uh living in a life of hell and not really anything demonic or terrible no 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 no, no yeah. but uh, you know you may not come to that later in your life but when you're yeah. nine to ten you kind of live on the surface of things you don't dig deeper into it yeah. but she was singing about some pretty deep subjects in pop oh songs. yeah yeah you know pat benatar lover she's great Mm-hmm. Um, and we've had a lot of conversations outside of the show about the trend drums took in the 1980s. Peter Gabriel's Intruder is considered to be the first use of Phil Collins's gated reverb drum sound. How do we feel about that? Well, down the road, we'll come across in the air tonight, possibly talking about it in the show. That's where that sound really was most profound. That gated drum sound, though, was the signature sound that dominated the 80s for most all drummers it became the standard for drums for like half the decade or more peter gabriel had a demand in the studio while recording what's become known as his melt album that no symbols be used so a heartfelt thank you and a sarcastic (laughs) thank you to all involved because without that sound (laughs) yeah maybe um without that sound we wouldn't have some absolute classic songs that we you know treasure from our past but you know we also have to hear this increasingly annoying drum sound as the decade moved along i understand what he was doing he felt that cymbals relieved the tension that drums were building and by having no cymbals it just kept that tension building and driving throughout the entire song yeah so i i appreciate the artistic achievement that they were reaching for then we have another important moment for drums in 1980 it was the release of the tr808 drum machine by roland the impact and influence 808s have had on music is no different 
in no less than the Stratocaster had on rock. No, not at all. So not anywhere near 808s and hip hop. As I said earlier, that country music dominated the airways of my house. I couldn't stop by 1980 without recognizing the country icon, George Jones, that his song, he stopped loving her today. That song itself was pure, like classic country. Oh yeah. Country music was also starting to flirt with pop charts in this time with artists like Ronnie Millsap, Eddie Rabbit and Barbara Mandrell. They had songs that shared AM radio airwaves with pop music. I love a rainy night and driving my life away by Eddie rabbit are still some fun songs to listen to now for nostalgia's sake. Sometimes I'll hear the Kenny Rogers, Kim Carnes duet. Don't fall in love with a dreamer or Dolly Parton's nine to five. And it's a time capsule. I'm just all of a sudden I'm in my room sitting next to my radio, listening to these songs for the first time, you know, when they were new. And another thing I like to do is tooling around the AM radio station and all of a sudden hearing Metallica, in order <laughs> who the hell is listening to this yeah, i love great. it uh-huh. <laughs> but it makes me wonder who is listening to this right now on am radio oh that's fantastic <laughs> so let me ask you what about musicals like i i've known you for 35 years and you're not a big fan and i respect that but 1980 saw the musical films of fame the jazz singer neil diamond and Popeye was released. I mean, that's Robin Williams. Yeah. Of those three, I've only seen Popeye. And I remember going to see that train wreck in the movie theater in downtown Newport. It was a perfectly cast Popeye with Robin Williams in a terrible film. Oh, right. This may have been my first exposure, at least consciously to musicals. Everything just seemed out of place. You know, and this is probably the first case of me giving something the side eye. You know, you think of side eye and you think of Popeye. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, right. <laughs> like this week I was thinking about this and I was like, is he called Popeye because he's missing an eye and one is popped out? Or is he called Popeye because he has one eye popped out at you while he's talking? Yeah, he's constantly got an eyelash stuck in one eye. No, but, but I think he did lose one. It has to have something to do with his eye. He's Popeye. Yeah. Have you ever met somebody named Popeye? <laughs> oh my God. No, I it's do remember not, somebody. Yeah. I do remember somebody with a nickname Kermit though. This is like a nickname <laughs> you give to somebody who's a sailor on the boat. He's Popeye. Cause he had an eye pop out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't. I, okay. This is what we need. We need the whole entire backstory on Popeye. Yeah. we. Have right? to it can no out. longer remain a mystery. We need to know. <laughs> do you know, you can still go visit the set from the film of Popeye in Malta. Are you serious? I I don't remember Popeye being <laughs> that huge of a success that that would be preserved. Yeah. Or is it an actual like working town and they just use the structures? Oh, no, no. It, it really is just a set. You kind of go and visit and they've got it hmm. set up as a tourist trap. Okay. It's, I kind of want to ridicule it. Yeah. But for a movie that bombed, I guess it's, it's a pretty successful yeah. tourist destination and the imaginations of people they go there and it still is Popeye's village that he would come back to being out to sea. Yeah. And probably, I don't know how many movies were ever filmed in Malta. Yeah. So and it, Malta, it, it is probably a big deal. Cause Popeye would come back to Malta. Go figure. Even Yeah, though. exactly. So yeah. yeah, I do kind of want to ridicule, but I think it is kind of cool when things like that are preserved. Yeah, it's cool. 
Yeah. Do you remember Fame? You know, I want to live forever. I remember the song. <laughs> I never saw the movie. <laughs> I think I was attracted to Fame because, you know, I had a childhood dream of being an actor or performer. And it was big at the time when I was young growing up. It was probably influential for me. But that song that I was just poorly singing the chorus to by Irene Cara, that was a huge hit. Yeah, it was. I never saw I've never seen it to this day. Um, but I may be open to it because, you know, part of my thing with musicals is just it just seems so uh, ridiculous <laughs> in <Yeah>. general, <laughs> even though a lot of movies there are, you know, ridiculous. You take anything Star Wars. It's like you believe in Jedis, but you don't believe in. OK, but, you know, fame. I, I could almost probably buy into this because it's about kids at a performing arts high school, right? Yeah. Yep. You know, the, so that, that would help me uh, make sense of things because people are probably going to randomly start singing and dancing in a school like that. <laughs> <laughs> a little you more know? so, yeah, than normal. Yeah, one. probably, yeah. you know, because you get a bunch of artistic kids who just can't control themselves. Look at yes. me. I'm a peacock. <laughs> you know? <laughs> but, and then every so often on the show, usually when we visit the 80s, the name Casey Kasem will come up. Mm -hmm. Casey, in today's terms, uh, was one of our influencers, right? Oh, when Casey yeah. Kasem talked, we paid attention because it was about music and entertainment. I'm sure you were in the same boat as me and with spending hours listening to American Top 40 every weekend. Uh, every Sunday morning. Oh, yeah. And you got to hear everything you loved. And if you didn't have a good pop radio station coming in, this is where you found new songs when they were entering the charts. I'm lucky enough right now to have a local radio station that on the weekend replays those older episodes. So, mm -hmm. it's, so it's so much fun to just tune it in and uh, just to reimagine myself huddled next to the radio. <laughs> Casey Kasem introduced my songs. I loved it so much. And then on May 4th, 1980, the very first episode of America's Top 10 aired on TV, and it served as a companion to the radio show. So now we knew what Shaggy actually looked like. <laughs> Yikes! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and we haven't even mentioned two of the biggest songs of the year. Another One Bites the Dust from Queen and Celebration from Cooling. Oh, hell yeah. Oh, Jesus. I mean, yeah. I think there'd be pitch pitchforks and torches if we didn't bring those two. No, up. those are two timeless classics right there. You know, going into any sporting arena in the world, you're Still. bound to hear, yeah, either of these songs. If your team wins, definitely. Oh, yeah. I, I, I played a wedding once and I was with a band and we know only a few covers. We played mostly original songs. We, we shouldn't have been there. Nobody should have asked us to come <laughs> play this wedding. But the drummer was family with the bride. So that's why we were brought there. After playing a few rock songs and everybody looking at us funny, we played celebration two or three times over <laughs> and, and then we just let the DJ take over, but sure enough, everybody got up and they were dancing when we played it. And after that, we, you know, just packed our gear and left. <laughs> Sheepishly, we, was like, yeah. We're sorry. Yeah, we, we were like the blues brothers fleeing town. You know? <laughs> oh, that's good. I love that. And at the beginning of the episode, I mentioned how 1980, was a year that kept giving yeah. all the music so far was very much in the moment, right? Yeah, it it's was. all hit, 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 hit. Yep. But there's so much that would enter my life at different stages. Four years in the future, I got introduced to Ozzy, 
Motorhead, mm -hmm. Judas Priest, The Scorpions, Van Halen, on and on and on. All of them had great albums in 1980. Ace of Spades is still awesome. Iron Maiden debuted in 1980. Ronnie James Dio's first album with Black Sabbath, 1980. Yeah. This wasn't music I remember hearing anywhere at the time, but it was it huge. Very, oh, yeah. But it became very important to me later in the decade. And then a few more years later, still, you know, the late 80s, I start giving bands like the Circle Jerks, Black Flag, Dead Kennedy yeah. Surprise. <laughs> the right? Circle I Jerks. I know, I know that that was just going to bring up an adolescent chuckle. In it. <laughs> Sorry. I understand. It's hard. Geez, where are we going now? <laughs> I realized this is really good music. Punk has such great energy. And I won't go into new punk, you know, NU punk. I love what i don't even, i don't even want to say that this time new punk <laughs> new punk yeah i like how we created our own derogatory term. yeah we did yeah, yeah. <laughs> there, there's just a rawness and urgency to punk that grabs my attention it says pay attention to me it's that little brat in the corner but for some reason it's an entertaining show that you can't look away from you know and, and in the 90s i finally gave the cramps the attention they deserved Th that debut album they had was incredible i love it um, 1980, I didn't know anything about genres. Music was either country or not country, <laughs> at least in my <laughs> eyes, right? Yeah. You know, and one of my favorite genres of all time is new wave. It's like punk's nerdy cousin. I can always count on the buggles or the vapors to turn my mood around. I don't know how the jam never got sued, but their song start. It's an obvious rip of the Beatles tax man. Oh, and they yeah. admit it. They yeah. admit it. You know, they, it was probably, they got caught up in the moment. And then after the fact, like, Oh shit, we just ripped off the Beatles. Yeah. You that's know what? what we we still yeah. like it. It's a good song. <laughs> I don't care. I still love it. And Oh, that's entertainment. That's a great song. That's, entertainment hey, yeah. <laughs> right? you know that song you're like oh shit that's the jam yeah 1980 this week it's been revealed to me to be evergreen i won't bore everyone with my deep dive but i found so many new albums to listen to this week and i really liked them all D during the course of the show i really look forward to those discoveries i would never call huey lewis on the news a deep dive by any means they have an album that will be hard not to dedicate a whole episode to when we get there. <laughs> Their self-titled debut in 1980 is fantastic. If you've never heard it, I can't recommend it enough. We definitely have some Huey coming up in the show. I know that for a fact because we were both huge fans as kids. We've talked about this and the respect held itself over into adulthood. In a world with synth pop and you know sparse drum sounds, Huey Lewis kept that pop rock and roll alive and well. This debut album, this was just a twinkle of what was to come. But Matt, here we go. Let's you're cutting just, me off, aren't you? Yeah. It's time to move <laughs> on to our five. We're heading me you, off. You, the past. you could just keep going. You just went <laughs> yeah. down a whole gamut of music from 1980. It was yeah. great. Are you ready to uh, just wrap this up 1980 and let's dish out our five songs? Yes, because it gives you less opportunity to possibly bring up the cure. I didn't talk about them at all this year. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't bring up the, I didn't bring up the Ramones either. Yeah. It very easily could have, should have. Yep. <laughs> yeah. But we haven't gotten to our five, but dun, dun, dun. Oh, God damn you. No, but no, there's nothing I'm super excited here. Oh. Yeah. I'll hit you with the cure down the road. <laughs> Quite literally. But Matt, I prepared for this year, knowing you're a huge Ramones fan. 
by listening to the end of the century album. Well, at least the end of the century is a good album. Well, so are all the Cure no. albums. No. <laughs> all the Cure albums. Oh, oh no. geez. Here we oh, go. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you're going to tell me every single Ramones album is fantastic. Yes. Yes, of course. <laughs> all right. Let's just go to our five and we'll okay. get on with it. All right. You chose 1980. I'm glad you brought us here, but I'm sure you relished in it. What is your first pick? What song? Every song, every song off the Ramones end of the century album. Yeah, I'm sure. (laughs) (laughs) There are a couple albums you could probably just pick every song. Oh, yeah. There would be there would be some internal struggle trying to pick one out. Um, I'm going to start us out with Joan Jett and Do You Want to Touch Me? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I got to make sure I get some Joan Jett on the playlist. She has a knack for picking the right songs to cover. She stays pretty close to the originals, yet makes them her own at the same time. Yeah, perfect Joan Jett song to add to the playlist. I hope we get a few more through the course of the show. Mm. She has the most natural ability to just rock. It emanates from her. And people need to know more about her than just like Crimson and Clover and I Love Rock and Roll. So great choice. Thanks. She just has it, whatever it is, (laughs) you know, that old saying, she's just got it. Yeah. You can't define it. It just, it's there. Yeah. She's got it. All right. What is your first song from 1980? All right. My first song is going to be something probably nobody's ever heard about before. It's the Reddings and the song is the awakening part one. I'm a Primus fan. I've always been for, you know, most of my alternative music years from the 1990s grunge music forward. And if you've ever wondered what Les Claypool was probably listening to as a kid when he was learning how to play bass, this is it right here. The Reddings, The Awakening Part One. I'm saying that over again. (laughs) I only found them a few months ago. I'd been looking for this song because Les Claypool performed this with his band, The Holy Mackerels. And I remember the CD being out back in the day, but I couldn't find it on Spotify. So I went to the Google machine, punched in to find out why. I couldn't find an answer, but discovered that it was a cover. And I went to the original. The album was actually one of the funkiest and smoothest R&B albums that I've heard, but it probably just fell late of that era in the 70s when the sound was changing. So... Quite honestly, if you want to know like how Les Claypool became Les Claypool, go listen to this because it's completely worth a listen. And The Awakening Part 1 is worth having come around on the playlist. And this song right here is a perfect example of what I think I'm going to love the most about doing this show is new finds like this. Yeah. Oh, I, I love this. Thank you for bringing it to the show. That is some sick bass playing. You hear Les Claypool's tricks in there. Yeah. The tapping down on the neck and sliding them. Oh, yeah. Great. So I'm bringing the first instrumental to the show. Oh, you are. That's yeah. right. Yes. That's so right. It it, yeah. And and it's great. Yeah. We need instrumentals. Yeah. They're, they're fun. All right. Definitely. So what are you bringing to us for your second song? My second one will be Devo, Girl You Want. Whip It is probably the obvious song, but I got the freedom of choice. (laughs) Yes, you do. See what I did there with the album title, Freedom of Choice? Mm -hmm. But but my choice is The Girl You Want. Stop laughing, everyone. 
People <laughs> with great music and performance art. They're they're a full entertainment package. I absolutely love what they do. Oh, I don't think this is the most out there Devo song. It's accessible. Oh, by far. No, yeah, it is. Yeah, people should go listen to it. It fits right in there with the entire new wave scene that was going on at the time. So, yeah, if, if this is a song that people go and see that's Devo on the playlist, I hope it prompts them to go listen to more of their music because it doesn't fit within that kind of mindset of what you think Devo is. It doesn't have that robotic, yeah. you know, sound. Yes going on yeah yeah good good tune all right where are you going next i'm going to take us well you know to the beat mirror in the bathroom but there's a funny story here so i was at the del bar one night oh yeah. all hell the del bar yeah, if people don't know the del bar was a little bar just north of the town that matt and i grew up in where you could drink where you were eight what well, was in canada and you could drink when you were 18 or but- under or under it, but we, we, we couldn't drink in our state of Vermont until you were 21. So we would cross over the border and go to the Dell bar at night. And one night I got talked into getting up to play with the band and we played a couple of songs. I remember playing REMs, the one I love rocking in a free world. And all of a sudden somebody yelled out, let's play some beat. And the bass player yelled out some chords to me, the progression and all of a sudden, there I was playing a song I'd never heard. <laughs> I had no clue what it was, but I, I never forgot it either. And it's always remained one of my favorite songs since when you get up there and you've played a song and then you hear it, you're like, oh, I played this here. And it just, it, it kind of ingrained itself into me. But also when it comes to ska, I'm going to mention Madness. and They will probably come up down the road as well in our playlist and the song Baggy Trousers. Oh, you wouldn't have been wrong with baggy trousers either. No. There was a lot of really good ska and two-tone around in 19. Oh, wasn't there? Yeah. Oh, the beat, Mirror in the Bathroom, that is a, that is an excellent song. But yeah. I am going to pronounce right here that I am allowing Jim a sixth song. We are going to put baggy trousers on the playlist. Oh, we will do that. <laughs> All right. The first six song. Yes. The first awesome. honorable mention to get it on the playlist. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Baggy Trousers belongs there from 19. Baggy Trousers. Yeah. Baggy Trousers. <laughs> All right. What is your third song then? Where are we going? We're going with Hall & Oates. Of Make course we are. come true. <laughs> oh, man. Sometimes I have to keep in mind, um, because I can get too wrapped up in the deep dive and finding new things that I may forget about the great songs that were such a big part of my life and were and still are important to me. I absolutely love Holland Oats and this song I will take with me forever. How can you not love Holland Oats? Like there's something wrong with you if you don't. Yeah. And this song encapsulates everything that's great about them. It's got the soul, it's got their harmonies, and it's damn fun pop music. Yeah. Like seriously, it's a great song. So I'm yep. sure nobody will have a problem with this song coming on the playlist. Love it. All right. What is your third song? My next song is going to be Billy Joel's You May Be Right. Classic. Yeah. In the 1980s, I'm going to have to admit right here, I was a Billy Joel fanatic. Oh, you're not the only one. Yeah. Glass Houses. Come on. The album cover. It was so cool. Leather jacket. I wanted to throw that rock. (laughs) (laughs) I want to see the aftermath of it. Oh, yeah. That would be so great. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, uh, an innocent man. That was my very first cassette that I bought. 
I was right with you in worshiping Billy Joel. He yeah. is, he takes up a big uh, chunk of bandwidth in my youth. Ah, he deserves it. He does. And yeah. this is an example where just like back in black, we could put the whole album on the playlist. Every song is <laughs> awesome. It's definitely one of the most cherished records in my collection. Yeah, but I think if we did that, we'd just have one massive sing-along today. <laughs> oh, oh, we should do that. We keep, you know, yeah. That might have to happen one of these days. The sing-along episode? <laughs> yeah, the karaoke show. <laughs> jam versus jam, like Spy oh, versus Spy. <laughs> yeah. The least listened to episode. <laughs> All right, what's your next song? All right, my next is the B-52s in Private Idaho. I forget how many good songs the B-52s have. <laughs> they aren't a band that's first on my mind when choosing something, but every time their early stuff comes on, I am hooked immediately. They're so creative. There's never a dull moment with them. I just love that energy, and there's a kookiness that is on the surface, but if you get past that, you realize how much stuff they have going on musically oh yeah the b-52s they're they're fantastic they're just yeah, incredible they and this song is one of many by them it's so truly original i, I don't want to ruin them for you matt but we love both of these artists i think someday when you're listening to them i want you to think weird al yankovic because there's an eerie similarity between Weird Al's early music and their early music. <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah. yeah. I made that leap. I think it's the accordion and obviously the cookies. <laughs> but yeah, it may be people, um, they may they might not want to take Weird Al seriously, but he is talented. Yeah. Definitely. Without a doubt. Without yeah. a doubt. But yeah, B-52s. Book it. Book it. Private Idaho. <laughs> All right. What's your next one? Okay. Nobody laugh, please, because we're riding in a car with the top down. There's a tear in your eye, and we're singing along to Air Supply, all out of love. This, this is, yeah. Cheesy Jim is probably going to show up a few times in this show, but okay, here we are, 1980. I'm dishing the first slice of my cheese. <laughs> Air Supply, all out of love. I have no regrets about this song being on the playlist. I also think one of the cool things about this song is that the verse is sung by the guitar player and then shared vocal with the other guy. I don't know what he did. <laughs> yeah, he I think sang. He just sang. He sang. Yeah. The guy with the curly hair, he sang. Yeah, and the guy sang. with the bigger nose, blonde hair, yeah. he was the guitar player. They both they both shared vocal duties on a lot of their songs. And I yeah. applaud you for bringing Air Supply. <laughs> I, I love Air Supply. Hey, this is a this is a holdover of the '80s, kind of from, from the '70s rather, into the '80s, where you have this soft rock, but Air Supply had a lot of hits. Oh, and, yeah, and rightfully did. so. My parents had a few of their eight tracks. That's like the perfect medium for air supply for some reason, <laughs> except for when it would fade out in the middle of a song, click the track and then fade back into the song. That was damn annoying. But I spent a lot of time, you know, listening and singing along with air supply. Uh, they are along with the Carpenters, one of the groups that kind of taught me how to sing, you know, you know, blame them or praise them for that. You know, depending on if you've heard me sing or not. 
All right. What is your last song from 1980? All right. You brought in Billy Joel, a, somebody who we neglected to talk about through the course of the, you know, beginning part of the episode. Yeah. And another one that we've kind of neglected and I'm kind of glad we hung on to until the end is the police. Don't stand so close to me. <laughs> another case where this whole album could just be added onto the playlist. I have a lot of admiration for you to pick a single song off of this album. It was a brave. It, yeah. Oh, yeah, I was brave. I was yeah, a brave but, little boy but, this week. But this will <laughs> definitely sit well on the playlist because, you know, they were such a great band through the 80s and they, they had probably a good run of three to four iconic albums during this time mm. where choosing songs off of them is going to be a real task. Yeah, they are. And stay away from the remake they did in the later 80s. That's yeah. that's a, that's trash. But you're right. This was a hard choice. My heart was kind of telling me Canary in a Coal Mine oh, or Voices Inside yeah. My Head. You know, but I went with one of the hits instead. Mm-hmm. Um, th- th- That sounds like I'm disappointed. <laughs> you know, not at all. It's a, just such a good album. I couldn't go wrong with any song from it. Oh, it's a great song. <clears throat> all right. So we got the police out of the way. God, I felt like I was holding that in all episode. All right, Jim, how are you going to round out your five songs from 1980? Uh, Well, we talked about the musicals earlier in the show, and I brought up the jazz singer. And this is Neil Diamond, who was in the film, and he wrote some of the songs for the soundtrack, if not all of them. I don't really know. We we both admit to not ever watching it, but (laughs) we know the songs. And it is Neil Diamond's America. Speaking of cheese early, you know, my, my slices that will come off during this show, mm-hmm. you know, as we go onward, you know me, Matt, I like cheesy music and Neil Diamond, yeah, you do. One, of my, one of my favorite artists. And it's better when you embrace it. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So you just need a little wine with Neil Diamond because it's cheese and, right. wine and you're good. But Neil Diamond, he served up gourmet cheese, a band I played in, in the nineties, Cinderblock baby we covered this. If you want to see a bunch of drunk rednecks in a bar, suddenly get patriotic. (laughs) Ironically over a song about immigration, this is the song to play. You will have a bunch of guys in flannels screaming out and fist pumping today. As they, oh, God. every time that flag unfurls, you need Furls. to say that flag unfurls. <laughs> and suddenly they just all stand up from the pool table. It's like, you know, they, they're pledging allegiance to what's going on. Oh, yeah. and, and you're telling them that, you know, they're immigrants coming into the country from somewhere, <laughs> and they love it. It's just, it's, yeah, but, but the song's Give amazing. Us tired <laughs> Yes. Oh, <laughs> this is more great cheese. I'll My give an country, honorable mention. Of the sweet <laughs> yeah, exactly. of liberty, liberty of the I sing today. <laughs> <laughs> it would just get people charged up when you oh. did that part. <laughs> oh, I can imagine America. Yeah, it was amazing. <laughs> and was even fun. if you, even if you won't do it, I'll give honorable mentions to Hello Again and Love on the Rocks. Classic. <laughs> great neil diamond we both love neil diamond calling him cheesy is almost hitting below the belt but uh, truth be told it is a little bit but it's still great (laughs) neil diamond we both love him it's cheesy goodness that is there's so much cheesy goodness from the 1980s that we haven't even talked about that we definitely need this on the playlist that's why i kind of like to call him gourmet 
because oh, yeah. it, it, it rises above of all yeah. of that in a way that uh you know you can't really explain and yeah, there's he's no, no he's no craft single yeah 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 neil diamond kind of <laughs> has his own genre like you have everything yeah. else in the world and then there's neil diamond so <laughs> all right matt that about wraps up 1980 not about it does and we are i i expected this to be a much uh bigger headache than it turned out to be i thought it was going to be very hard to get all of everything we talked about in to the show there's a lot on the cutting room floor this week <laughs> yeah there is <laughs> so that puts an end to the business of version 1980 business that's oh business business it's business time yeah <laughs> <laughs> So now comes the time in the episode where Jim is going to tell us what year we are visiting next. Well, we need to get out of here because we started in 1971 and then we went to 1986 and then we went to 1980. Yeah, we can't blow through these 80s yeah. and 70s right away. We're going to go to 2002. Oh, I like it. Yeah, I like let's it just already. go there. I don't even know why. It just came out of my head. So 2002. <laughs> it's going to be a breath of fresh air regardless. Yes, it will be. So we'll enjoy uh, or maybe not enjoy. <laughs> we'll find out what's find going out. on. Yeah. Uh, we were a little bit older then. All right. Well, uh, 1980 was your show. So wrap us up. All right. So we want to thank everybody for tuning into the Jam Yearbook. And we will see you here next time. Version 2002. Everybody. Thanks for listening. Peace, love, and podcast.